That's far enough. Michael Bravo stopped in his tracks. His fingers wiggled over his holster, but he knew better than to draw. The man in black stood before him, aiming a revolver at his heart. His ugly smile was made all the uglier by the wiry mustache that twirled over his lips. You've foiled my plans for the last time, declared the man in black. Now, my fine amigo, it's curtains for you. Michael hunched over in concentration. The man in black held a cotton bag in one hand, marked with a hand-drawn S. The loot from his most recent bank robbery, Michael surmised. But there was something else. A horse facing away. In the saddle, a trim young woman was perched backward. She was blindfolded, and her hands were tied behind her back. Her golden locks wafted in the breeze. Make your choice, Bravo, cried the man in black. Me or the girl? With that, he smacked the horse's rump. It bounded away in a cloud of dust. The man in black whirled around, cackling as he scampered toward the rocky hills. Michael Bravo looked one way, then the other. At last, he started to run in the direction of the galloping horse. He sprinted across the pebbled dirt. He knew this land well, and he knew where that horse was headed. In another minute, it would leap off the edge of a cliff into the depths of Skull Canyon. Michael ran, gaining on the wild stallion. He heard the woman's screams, and they urged him forward. He ran alongside the horse. In the corner of his eye, he saw the approach of the jagged precipice. He reached out a gloved hand and grabbed the reins. He dug his heels into the dirt. The horse dragged him, fast at first, then slower. It turned sideways, bucking with surprise. All at once, the damsel fell from her saddle, collapsing into his arms. Teddy ripped away the bandana that covered her eyes. It's all right, Michael said. You're safe now. She wailed and wailed, grappling Michael around the neck. You've saved me, she bawled. You've saved me from that terrible man. But if only you knew, he's my own flesh and blood. The man in black is my uncle. Cut! The smack of the cutboard echoed across the lonely landscape, followed by a businessy hubbub. The cameraman stopped cranking. Technicians scattered across the set like so many ants. A handler chased after the runaway horse. The makeup artist sneezed into her arm. The director slumped into his canvas chair, nodded ambivalently. He tapped his fingers against his chin, then said, That's good for today. Same time tomorrow, everybody. In that instant, Michael Bravo ceased to exist. He was no longer a fearless lawman of the Wild West. He was just Charlie, a guy who looked short and skinny in real life, wearing a threadbare costume that hadn't been washed in a week. The damsel stood next to him, fanning herself with a flattened hand. I'm going to find some shade, she said. See you tomorrow, Charlie?
He saluted her with two fingers. The actress squeezed his shoulder and skipped away, stripping away her shawl as she went. Charlie looked lost in thought. He usually looked that way. All he wanted now was a wet towel and a tall glass of lemonade. But before he could take a step in any direction, one of the gaffers called out to him, Hey, Charlie, there's a lady looking for you. Charlie blinked at the gaffer. He was thoughtful, but when Charlie was thinking, he usually looked hurt. The crowd started to disperse, carrying props and equipment, and when it thinned, Charlie saw the lady in question. She smirked, hand on hip, just waiting for him to spot her. Can I trouble you for an autograph? she said. He sauntered toward her, groping his belt. He stopped. He sniffed. Well, shucks, Liz. You know I don't like surprises. Elizabeth Crown rolled her eyes. Come on, Charlie, she said. Is that any way to greet your sister? Give me a goddamned hug. The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown presents The Girl in the Picture, Episode 1. October 1923. Charlie Crown lived in an old shotgun house with rough clapboard walls and a sagging porch out front. The sun blazed above and Elizabeth and Maud seated themselves in two rocking chairs. A little path led to the road where a rusty mailbox was tethered to a post. All around, similar hovels were randomly scattered as if they'd been dropped from the cloudless sky. I can't believe I'm thinking this, panted Maud, but I could use a Pittsburgh rainstorm. Elizabeth smiled. I'd say the grass is always greener, but any grass would be greener than this. Soon they heard the buzz of an engine. A yellow cloud rose in the distance, followed by a narrow black shape. A motorcycle hobbled over the dirt road, and Elizabeth was surprised to recognize its rider. The bike made a lazy turn, passed the mailbox, and juddered to a stop. Charlie dismounted and stripped away his riding goggles. He smacked the dust from his blue jeans and spat at the ground. How about that, Maud? said Elizabeth, rising to her feet. The cavalry has arrived. Charlie gazed at the distance, arms akimbo. Looks like you found the place. We did, although I can't say the cabbie was pleased to come all the way out here. Charlie drew a key from his pocket. Well, I reckon he wasn't. Inside, the shack was homier than Elizabeth had expected. The bed was covered in a thin quilt. Curtains were drawn neatly over the windows. The dresser and vanity were solidly crafted, and a glance at the kitchen revealed cupboards and a table. The place was spartan, but every bit and bauble 
was deliberately placed. This is it, said Charlie, removing his visored cap and placing it on a peg. I would have straightened up if I'd known you were coming. Really? Maud blurted. Charlie looked up. He shot Maud a look, a look that was all too familiar to Elizabeth, bruised, curious, skeptical, all at the same time. I mean, Maud looked around. It's so neat. I'm, I just, it's just so hard to believe you're related. A long pause followed as Charlie deciphered her meaning. Elizabeth chewed at her thumb, then said, Charlie, this is Maud. She was my assistant until I fired her five seconds ago. Charlie didn't laugh at this. He didn't even smile. He just murmured to the throw rug, Pleased to meet you, Maud. Well, what had Elizabeth expected? Ten years had passed, and Charlie was practically the same. Oh, he was older now, but not by much. He was still boyish, angular, and painfully slender. His jaw was sharp and smooth. His thin lips had never shown much emotion. He had their mother's eyes, steady and penetrating, a blend of exclamation point and question mark. Elizabeth had never seen him cry, not once, but he always looked on the brink of tears, and somehow those tears would be your fault. Then Charlie rolled up his shirt sleeves, glanced at the kitchen, and said, Anybody care for a soda pop? Yes, please, exclaimed Elizabeth and Maud together. Charlie went through the door, his face stiff, as if he'd just received a burdensome request. Elizabeth heard the opening of a heavy door, the clink of bottles, and Charlie filling the dry air with his voice. I'd give you the grand tour, but this is pretty much it. You have a place to stay? We do, Elizabeth called back. A little hotel downtown. Sounds nice. How far is the beach? Not too far. Charlie appeared with a pair of Coca-Cola bottles. Cool vapor swirled from their mouths. Elizabeth took a swig, and she relished the sweet carbonation that bubbled down her throat. She couldn't remember the last time she'd cracked a fizzy drink. Since you're here, mumbled Charlie, I ought to have some extra tickets to the picture show. I'd love that, Elizabeth blurted. I mean, we would love that. Where's it playing? Charlie rubbed the back of his neck. The Forbidden Palace? Big new place? Just opened. The picture's a premiere, so I guess we ought to dress up. Lovely, said Elizabeth, sashaying toward the door. Shall we meet you there? Probably best. All I've got is the bike. Elizabeth knew not to squander his good graces. She yanked Maud toward the porch, calling, Sounds like a date. See you at the show, Charlie. Yep, eight o'clock, answered her brother, and he shut the door behind them. By 8 p.m., the sidewalk in front of the Forbidden City 
was a hurly-burly of limousines and sparkling gowns. The street was enmeshed in chauffeurs, valets, men in tuxedos, and bursts of flash powder. The sky had transitioned from deep orange to deep violet, and the skyline was peppered with lights. Elizabeth and Maud slipped through the crowd, dodging polished shoes and the tripods of photographers. They were dressed as well as they could manage, having spent so many weeks on the road. Their dresses were formal enough and smartly cut for the warm night. But somewhere, Maud had drummed up some headwear, a plumed fascinator for Elizabeth and a pearled tiara for herself. She had also scored silk scarves and two pairs of satin gloves. Elizabeth marveled at these accruals. They'd barely settled into their hotel room, and already Maud had found time to shop. There he is, Maud exclaimed. And there he was, Charlie Crown, wearing a collared leather jacket and fetching ascot. His cowboy boots were polished, and his hair was combed smoothly back. The ensemble was typical of him. His sensibility had always been reservedly rugged. Yet Elizabeth couldn't remember her brother ever looking so dashing. Standing on the sidewalk, one hand in his jacket pocket, the other holding a cigarette aloft, Charlie actually looked like a movie star. How nice of you to join us, Elizabeth cried throwing out her arms. Charlie smiled with cool recognition and allowed his sister to kiss his cheek. He flicked the cigarette into the street and nodded toward the door. I can't promise this'll be any good, Charlie murmured. How could it be, Elizabeth said, taking her brother's arm, if you're not in it? The paint had barely dried on the Forbidden City. The façade replicated its Chinese inspiration well enough, sloping terracotta roofs, imposing red pillars, and ornamental dragons carved into every surface. To enhance the oriental atmosphere, a platoon of ushers milled about the lobby, each dressed in elaborate costume. Men in Changshan tunics and twirly beards bowed to passing guests, pigtails flopping over their shoulders. Women wore bright hanfu dresses and half-hid their smiles with fans. All their faces were garishly painted, and several twirled bamboo parasols with coquettish charm. Elizabeth swelled with nostalgia. All these outfits and props were lousy replicas of Far Eastern splendor but she lost herself in memories all the same. By the time they'd stepped into the auditorium, she'd nearly forgotten that they were here to see a movie. They climbed a staircase to the mezzanine. Their seats were in the front row of the balcony, which overlooked the sprawling crowd below. Elizabeth beamed at the sight. She didn't know whether it was the presence of Charlie or the movie house itself, but she felt a surge of childish energy. She leaned forward against the brass rail, watching the rows of seats fill before her. At the bottom of the screen was a long stage. Next to that stood a voluminous theater organ, with a keyboardist at the ready. 
Elizabeth glanced at her brother and was surprised to see him doing the same thing. See anyone you know? Elizabeth whispered. Oh, Charlie sank back into his seat. A couple of folks. This isn't really my crowd. To any passing stranger, Charlie would look as plaintive as ever, his lips downturned, his one leg balancing on the other. But there was something else, and only Elizabeth could have noticed it. Charlie was preoccupied. He rubbed his thumbs together in anxious circles. He craned his neck ever so slightly to survey the audience. He expected to see something. A face? A movement? It was impossible to know without asking, and Elizabeth knew better. Charlie, Maud asked, leaning over Elizabeth, what's the movie tonight? Oh, it's uh, something in French. La Reverie de Printemps, Elizabeth announced. Spring Reverie. It was in the paper. Sure, Charlie sniffed. That sounds about right. The lights dimmed. A single spot fired down from the ceiling, and a figure sauntered into that circle of light. As he stepped up to the microphone stand, a wave of applause crested through the dark room. The man nodded in several directions. His hair was a sharp widow's peak, and he wore a flat mustache. Ladies and gentlemen, he said, his voice booming charismatically from invisible speakers. My name is Roy Copeland, and I'm pleased to welcome you to the cinema tonight. For this is a very special night, when we will celebrate the work of one man, a visionary, in the cinematic arts, a man who has revolutionized the possibility of film. His innovations have been praised across the continent of Europe, but they have rarely reached our shores. Tonight, we celebrate his greatest achievement yet, and so, allow me to present the inimitable director, Hadrian Beaumont. Copeland backed away from the microphone slapping his hands together. A roar of ovation followed, and a second man stepped into the golden light. The appearance of Adrien Beaumont contrasted sharply with his host. He was a sizable slab of man, like a walking stake wrapped in a tuxedo. His head deflated into his shoulders. Long blonde hair dribbled down his collar, his nose was a red bulb, visible from the balcony. He bent forward, a mix of giant and hunchback. <coughs> Madame et Monsieur, he said. Thank you for your uh, hospitality. I am enchanted by, by your uh, attendance here this night. Beaumont's speech was enthusiastic but broken as he searched his brain for English words. He persistently cleared his throat, breaking up every sentence, and ran a finger along his ear to clear extra hair from his eyes. Two years in the past, I voyaged, <coughs> voyaged to, the, <coughs> to a desert, the uh, desert of Gobi. And here I encountered... An animal, 
a type of animal which uh, I, I, I know I know not and uh, never have seen in uh, all my life. The room was silent, except for an occasional cough. And so, mes amis, I cached these uh, animals with the uh, assistance of uh, hunters of the Manchu and uh, bring them uh, in a ship across uh, the uh, ocean to, uh, to Los Angeles, where now I say to me, uh, myself, I, I must film them, these beautiful uh, creatures. And now you see my result, this uh, film, uh, for you, this uh, night, La Reverie du Printemps. Long seconds followed, until perceptive spectators realized his speech was done, and they began to clap. The clapping intensified, until the whole theater was applauding Beaumont. The director bowed, blew a kiss to the audience, and doddered into the dark. Charlie shifted in his seat. What in the hell was that about? He muttered. The spot went out. In its place, the projector shot a ray of light into the screen. Scratches flickered across the gray surface. Then, an enormous cursive letters, the words Copeland Motion Picture Company, sprawled across the screen. The credits rolled. These words meant nothing to Elizabeth, but she sensed Charlie's discomfort. He kept shifting in his seat. He rubbed fists into his cheeks. His eyes reflected the light of the film, and Elizabeth could see them dart back and forth, scanning the list of unfamiliar names. The title popped up. In flowery script, the words La Réverie de Printemps filled every inch of the black-and-white rectangle. At last, a circle swallowed up the screen, and the movie began. A woman sat in the middle of the frame. A girl, really. Her ivory face was thick with eyeshadow and rouge. Glistening fabric was wrapped around her blonde bob. She wore a muslin dress with pleated sleeves and Greek frets. The neckline was scandalously low. She perched on a rugged stone wall, the surface thick with ivy, ancient ruins mingled with pointed cypress trees. The girl slipped down from the wall, chuckling to herself, and dipped a hand into a glassy pool. Ripples distorted her reflection as she knelt beside the water. I'll be damned, Charlie spat. I'll be goddamned. Watch your language, Elizabeth nearly scolded, but she suppressed her reflex. Was her vocabulary any more refined? Didn't she hurl curses and oaths at every unpleasant thing? And wasn't Charlie old enough to say what he liked, however he liked? All of a sudden, Elizabeth lost track of the boy she had known. Charlie was here now, 28 years old, living on his own, a real-life actor. 
all over the country, kids lined up at Nickelodeon's to watch her brother chase villains across the Wild West. Charlie was no Douglas Fairbanks, but he was a leading man of the Saturday matinees, and thousands of popcorn-chomping youngsters knew the serial Michael Bravo, lawman of the high country. They might not know Charlie Crown from any other actor, but his persona was downright famous. And honestly, who in the world didn't love a good adventure story? Elizabeth was torn from her thoughts by the sight of a horse. But not a horse, exactly. The creature was dense and draped in thick fur. Its mane flowed wildly over its shoulders. Physically, it looked like a Shetland pony, but taller, burlier. The actual colors were impossible to say, but the shades were dark. Elizabeth imagined a hide of browns and maroons. None of that mattered, though, not compared to the horn. It was like nothing Elizabeth had ever seen in nature, spiraling out of the horse's snout like a twisted spear point. The horn had girth, too, like a rhino's. As the horse galloped into frame, dust rose around its long, wagging head. The girl turned playfully toward it, and the horse trotted around her. Gasps erupted around the theater. Patrons whispered. Elizabeth sat up in her seat. My God, she breathed. The longer she looked, the more real it seemed. Yes, such a horn could be sculpted out of ceramic or stone, putty or paper mache But the way the hair crowned its base, the way the dorsal muscle was shaped around it, only a miracle of makeup and costuming could look so credible. And then there were more. A whole line of horses, identical to the first, charging into the idyllic scenery. They arranged themselves into a single file line, which curved into a ring. The girl danced among them, waving her arms in the air. She smiled, her eyes half-closed, as the herd encircled her. Suddenly, Charlie stood. He flung his arms at the moving images and cried, To hell with it! To hell with all of it! Before Elizabeth knew what was happening, Charlie had slid himself out of the row and stormed up the aisle toward the curtained exit. Elizabeth tapped Maud on the shoulder, and they gathered their effects. They scampered out of the screening room and squinted into the electric light. Charlie had already reached the bottom of the carpeted staircase and was now tromping toward the theater doors. Luckily, Charlie stopped at the sidewalk, where Elizabeth found him, pacing back and forth, sucking hard on a cigarette. The costumed ushers were spread out along the various entrances, their eyes aimed at the ground. Traffic rumbled down the wide avenue. Headlights swept across the concrete. Crooks and phonies, Charlie blustered. That's all they are. That's all who are, Elizabeth tugged at her scarf impatiently. What's the game, Charlie? What's the matter with you? Charlie closed his eyes. 
smoke seeped from his nostrils. This town, Liz, he said, it'll chew you right up. With that, he flung the cigarette into the gutter and stormed away. Where are you going? Elizabeth demanded. Home, he called over his shoulder. Elizabeth felt her anger swell. A hundred long-ago arguments echoed in her mind, and each had ended like this, with Charlie stomping away in a mysterious huff. Well, Elizabeth cried, we're at the Biltmore if you're curious. Charlie stopped at the corner. In a few more paces, he would turn and disappear from sight. But he paused, looking pained. A part of Elizabeth wanted to chase after him, to speak soothingly, to tease out the truth. If only she still had the patience. If you're not curious, Elizabeth added, I guess we'll see you in another ten years. With that, she turned on a heel, snatched Maud's elbow, and stormed away. You've been listening to The Girl in the Picture, Episode 1, written and performed by Robert Eisenberg. Music provided and licensed by Audioblocks.com. The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown are produced by Airmail Media, based in Providence, Rhode Island. To learn more about the exciting field of unconology, visit elizabethcrown.net.